Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Bachelor Creek. We are so excited that you are choosing to celebrate Christmas with us. I have to tell you about a week and a half ago, my family and I set out in search of the perfect Christmas tree. And um, when we moved back here to Indiana, we uh, wanted to, to make some, some new family traditions. Uh, see, because when we were in Texas around the holidays, it usually was a lot of traveling for us. We'd spend a lot of time packing and uh, driving to the airport and sitting on a plane because we were living in Texas and all of our family was in Indiana. And as much as we tried, it was hard for us to create these special moments as a family, and we wanted to make sure that that changed. And so last year, we decided we were going to ditch the artificial tree and we were going to go with the real thing. And so about a week and a half ago, we got into the car, we drove out to the tree farm, and uh, we wanted to find the right tree. And so at first, we had to decide what kind of tree. And I've learned that there are so many different kinds of trees you can choose from. Then we had to figure out the right height of tree because we wanted to make sure that it would fit in the living room. So after we had got all those parameters taken care of, we were on the hunt. And it was this real uh, Clark Griswold moment for me as I was leading our family in search of the perfect Christmas tree. So we're walking along these rows of trees and uh, we see some good candidates and one of the first ones we see, Tara goes, yeah, that's good, let's go with that. And I'm like, wow, you, <laughs> my, my brain just can't do that. There's more rows of trees and if there's a better tree out there, like, I gotta, I gotta know that. And so uh, I'm walking along the trees and I'm kinda making mental notes of the trees as we go, like, kinda felt like The Bachelor a little bit, like, yeah, that's a possibility or maybe that one or maybe that one. So I go through all the rows of trees, and would you believe it, that the one that we originally had, had picked out was, was the right one. So we, we get the tree, we, we cut it down, put it on top of the van, we head back home. So far, so good. Good family experience. Everybody was, was having a good time. But the difficulty comes when it's time to get it inside the house. As soon as we got home, the kids scattered. They all went to their rooms, off doing their thing. So it's just Tara and I. And I'm looking at this tree, and I'm trying to figure out how it's going to get through the front door. So use a little bit of geometry, get it through the door, then comes getting it onto the tree stand. It seems simple enough, but my goodness, did it test our marriage. <clears throat> I'm holding the tree, and Tara's down on the ground trying to get the tree stand in place. And we could not get the tree to fit on the stand. And I just keep saying, it shouldn't be this hard. It, it shouldn't be this hard. And Tara goes, well, there, there's some branches down here at the bottom. We need to cut these branches off. So I can't see what's going on. At this point, I've got sap all over my hands, my face, my clothes. We get the tree off. We cut these branches at the bottom. We're able to put it back on the stand, and you would think that would be it. But then we can't get it to, to be straight up. It's, it's tilting to the left. It's tilting to the right. It's forward. It's backward. After another 15 minutes, we finally get it into place. And after all that, would you believe that I was not super excited about this Christmas tree anymore? <laughs> well, everything started so wonderful, but by the end, it was a little bit of chaos. And I'm happy to report that things are a lot calmer now, and we've come around and we're able to enjoy this together. And against our culture's call to consume the clutter of Christmas, stands the simple yet profound season of Advent. Advent means coming or arrival. It refers to a four-week period of time set aside for prayer, repentance, and preparation to allow us to slow down enough to savor the Savior's birth. 
I see Advent as a spiritual journey that helps us focus on the greatest gift of all so that we can worship the Word made flesh with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we experience Advent, it strikes me that one can never start too early when getting ready for something so big. Through our time together, through our reading, our singing, our praying together, we want to reflect on Jesus' first coming and prepare for his second. We want the beauty of Jesus to shine bright into the busyness of our lives. And that can only happen when we slow down. Today, we're beginning a new series called Advent Conspiracy. The basic idea is we want to take back the story of the Savior's birth as we fight against the consumerism that has stolen the soul of Christmas. We want to substitute consumption with compassion by practicing four simple yet powerful countercultural concepts. Worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. To say that we're celebrating a conspiracy means that we're conspiring against our cultural tendency to worship consumerism and instead turn our hearts towards Christ. The word conspire is defined as making secret plans jointly to commit an unlawful or harmful act. And while it's not illegal to celebrate Christmas yet, and I'm certainly not advocating something unlawful, we do need to join together to reclaim Christmas from the snares of our society. It's interesting, conspire also means to act in harmony toward a common end. And since the things we desire are the things that we end up worshiping, during this time of blatant consumption, we must take a fresh look at what truly matters. I'm aware that that many of us, we sit in church disconnected from the Christmas story because we're so far removed from the original events. Uh, Pastor Rick Kinley says it this way. The story of Christ's birth is a subversive story of an upside-down kingdom. It's a story of promise, hope, and revolutionary love that is still changing the world to this day. So what happened? What was once a time to celebrate the birth of the Savior has somehow turned into a season of stress, traffic jams, and shopping lists. And when it's over, many of us are left with presents to return, looming debt that will take months to pay off, and an empty feeling that somehow we missed its purpose. What if Christmas became a world-changing event again by turning our focus back to the birth of Christ? What could happen in your family if this focus was celebrated in loud, bold, and unexpected ways? Do you remember the Charlie Brown Christmas special where Charlie Brown has this poor, puny little tree? He's stressed, he's disappointed, and in frustration he yells out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus comes over to Charlie Brown and he says, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he quotes the narrative from Luke chapter 2. The lights go down. And the simplicity of the Savior story takes center stage. How do we recapture our souls? How do we get back to the real reason for the season? Why is it that the time of year when worshiping Jesus easiest is often the most challenging? What is Christmas all about? This year, let's not let another Christmas pass like a blizzard leaving us to shovel through shattered ornaments, 
dead tree branches and broken dreams. I want to ask, what would happen if instead of acting like bystanders to the nativity, we would enter into this story as participants? Because here's what I believe. A deeper understanding of Christmas leads to a fuller worship of the Savior. And we see this in how the Christmas characters responded when they encountered Emmanuel. Their worship sprang from deep places of their heart as they were touched for the first time by God in the flesh. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Worship is at the heart of Christmas. And as we study these responses, we will see a compelling picture of praise. Because when we understand Christmas more fully, we will worship Christ more fully. The birth of Jesus isn't on par with Rudolph or Frosty or Santa. This isn't just a time of, of fuzzy sentimentality as we sing about a wonderful Christmas time. It is a time of wonder and awe and worship. And since worship is what we all long for, we need to look with fresh eyes at the Christmas characters and look at how they responded to the Christmas story, how they responded to the birth of the Savior. And after we look at each individual and how they responded, I will ask a reflective question that will help us apply the incarnation to our lives. One, Mary surrendered. Chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, Mary was a teenage girl engaged to marry a poor carpenter named Joseph. I just love how God uses nobodies to do something great. When the angel Gabriel approached her, she was troubled and afraid, but as she listened to an explanation of what was going to happen to her, she responded with words of surrender in Luke 1.38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Have you ever surrendered yourself to the Lord as his servant? Two, John jumped. When Mary went and stayed with her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, Elizabeth exclaimed in Luke 1.44, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There's just something about being in the presence of Jesus that causes us to jump for joy, isn't there? So what's holding you back for jumping for joy just for being in the presence of Jesus? Three, Mary magnified. Joining the rich tradition of poets and prophets, Mary composes a song of devotion to her Lord in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. I want to look at just the first two verses. She sings, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's song is known as the Magnificat. It's Latin for magnify. Like a magnifying glass that helps us to often see what is unseen, Mary burst out into praise. She sings God's attributes and his concern for the humble, the helpless, and the hungry. Now, before we think of Mary any more than we should, let me point out that she realized that she is a sinner in need of a Savior. She calls God her Savior. So she needs redemption just as much as we do. In what ways does your life magnify the Lord so that others can see him? Four, Joseph obeyed. 
See, Joseph has a problem. His fiance is pregnant and the baby isn't his. Though he could have flipped out and exposed Mary to public shame and punishment, his plan was to end things quietly. That's when an angel appears to him in a dream and tells Joseph not to break the pledge to Mary because her baby has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's told in Matthew 1.21 that he will have a son and Joseph is to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I admire Joseph for his immediate obedience. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. Joseph reminds us that the call of God isn't always easy or conventional, but it's always right. And God will give us the courage to follow if we're willing to obey. A deeper understanding of Christmas leads to a fuller worship of the Savior. In what ways is the Lord calling you to obey him this Christmas season? Five, angels adored. If we go back to the narrative in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we see that after giving good news of great joy to the shepherds, we read that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. The angels explode with praise as they contemplate how peace will now be given to a people who are enemies at war with God. So if the angels adored and gave glory to God, in what specific way can you do the same? Six, shepherds abandoned. Despised as outcasts, unfit for civilized society, the shepherds lived on the outskirts of towns. They were shunned by most of the people. But don't miss this. God loves the overlooked. Choosing them to celebrate the good news of the Savior's birth, we read in Luke 2.15 that they are very eager to see the Savior. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. These laid-back men, who were used to slowly walking through the fields with their sheep, they dropped everything and hightailed it to the stable. Verse 16 says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing the Savior, verse 17 tells us that they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So this Christmas season, in what ways do you need to confess your hesitancy? and instead abandon everything to worship. Seven, Simeon praised. Some days after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple to present him to the Lord. A man named Simeon had been waiting for a long time for a Savior to be born, and Luke 2.26 tells us that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he comes face to face with Jesus in the temple. And verses 28 through 30 says that Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's not easy to wait, is it? Simeon waited a long time for God to show up. Yet it's when we wait that we can be moved to worship. 
And this church is the very heart of Advent. Advent teaches us the discipline of waiting in a society that is consumed by instant gratification. Theologian Stanley Grins offers this profound cultural critique. He says, The ancient Western church devised a rhythmic cycle for the celebration of Christ's incarnation. At the center was Advent, the 20-plus days beginning on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day. By fasting and abstaining from public festivities, Christians were to prepare for the Holy Day by being drawn into the sense of longing for Messiah's coming felt by generations of God's faithful people. This heightened sense of anticipation would, in turn, give way to overwhelming joy and festive celebration when Christmas Day finally came. As members of the fast food generation, we have become so eager to get to Christmas that we bypass Advent. Whereas our forebears enjoined fasting and reflection, we try to enjoy days filled with more Christmas festivities than we can endure. Christmas has displaced Advent on our calendars. Rather than savoring the melancholy mood of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we immediately want to hear a robust version of joy to the world, the Lord has come. In short, we have Christmas early and celebrate a drive through Christmas. But we cannot truly sing joy to the world unless we have thoroughly rehearsed O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So I ask, what are you waiting on this season? And how can you worship in the waiting. Eight, Joseph and Mary marveled. After hearing what Simeon said, we read in verse 33 that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Though they had both been told that their son would be the Savior, I'm sure they had a difficult time comprehending everything. The word marvel means to admire or to wonder. You know, every parent is pleased when someone says something nice about their child, but but this is much beyond that. Perhaps they understood that Jesus was the Savior for Israel, but when Simeon stated that he was also a light for revelation to the Gentiles in verse 32, it took them a while to fully understand that he is Savior of the whole world. What Simeon said went way beyond what the angel had outlined. So what are you going to do differently to make sure that you spend time marveling this Christmas? Number nine, Anna proclaimed. As Joseph and Mary continue to wonder and marvel, they encounter an elderly widow named Anna. I just love how God orchestrates the timing of everything in life. Check out verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She had waited a long time to see the Savior, and now she couldn't help but thank God and speak about Jesus to everyone in Jerusalem. I recognize that Thanksgiving has come and gone, but we should never stop thanking God, and we should never stop telling others about Jesus. I want to remind you that our candlelight Christmas services are three weeks from this weekend. Who are three people you know right now who don't have a relationship with Christ that you can invite to worship Christ here at Bachelor Creek this Christmas? Will you invite them as you speak about the Savior? Ten, wise men worshiped. 
Many months later, even up to two years, we read about some scholarly astronomers who came from Persia to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. When they finally find Jesus, we know that they gave expensive gifts to him, but I want you to notice what they do before they give their gifts. If you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says, On the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. You see, God is more interested in our bowing than with the bows that we put on our gifts. He wants us before he wants what we have. In other words, he wants to own us before we give him what we own. He wants our hearts before he wants our hands. He wants our presence more than he wants our presence. The word worship here means having fallen, they prostrated themselves and intensely adored him. How would you describe your worship? Have you ever fallen before him and received Christ into your life? Because when we understand Christmas more deeply, we will worship the Savior more fully. So let me put these top ten words of worship together because I think it will help us see the areas where we need to increase our adoration. These Christmas characters surrendered, jumped, magnified, obeyed, adored, abandoned, praised, marveled, proclaimed, and worshipped. But yet as I read through the nativity story, I notice two groups who won't worship. And maybe you find yourself in one of these groups today. The first is those who are intolerant. This would be like Herod. He goes crazy in his attempts to kill the Christ of Christmas. And, and maybe that, that would describe you. Where you're not that crazy about Christmas and you don't really care for Christians either. But more likely, you would fall among the indifferent. Perhaps you're like the religious guys who totally missed the coming Messiah. They were so caught up in their rituals and their routines that they missed Christmas. It's sad that even though they knew the right answers for where the Messiah would be born, they resisted being born again themselves. And it's easy for religious people to take Jesus for granted. At the first Christmas, the, the ritually religious are nowhere to be found because they misunderstood, miscalculated, and underestimated God's simple plan of salvation. And as I read through the Christmas story again this week, it struck me that it is impossible to stay the same when we encounter the Savior. Because adoration always leads to action. Worship leads to work. The story of Christmas is still unfolding, and it still inspires action today. And so as we close, I want to leave you with a few practical ways that we can choose to enter in to the Christmas story. First, I want to encourage you to tell the Christmas story because it's our story to tell. Instead of getting all bent out of shape when a store employee says happy holidays, let's remember that Christmas is our story to tell. Think about a question that you're probably asked a lot over the next few weeks. Are you ready for Christmas? That question is usually asked to mean, have you done all your shopping? Are all the presents wrapped? 
But remember, what we are attempting to do is recapture Christmas. We want to recapture what it really means, so let's leverage these conversations for Christ. So perhaps you can respond by saying something like, I'm trying to get my heart ready. Or I'm preparing myself for worship. Or you can even respond, well, what do you mean by that? So you can get to the heart of the question. Second, I would encourage you to sit down with your family and discuss how you can approach Christmas differently this year. Manage your schedule coming into the Christmas season in a way that worship is front and center for your family. Here's an idea. Ask each member of your family which Christmas character they most want to model. As a family to go through together as you're eating dinner or as you're spending time together. Third, I want to encourage you, as you strive to worship fully this Advent, be thinking of ways that you can spend less so you can give more. Eric Hoffer says, you can never get enough of what you don't need to make you happy. So instead of buying what people don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like, let me give you some worthy ways you can give this season. And I praise God because so many of you have already chosen to embrace this attitude. We had hundreds and hundreds of people pick up an Operation Christmas Child shoebox and fill that. We had hundreds of you give pajamas for kids in need in our community. Dozens of you helped serve downtown at Jingle Jubilee. But let me suggest some other ways that we can spend less in order to give more this Christmas. One is by participating in our harvest offering. Every year this time of year at Bachelor Creek, we have a harvest offering. 20% of all of that offering will go to local, national, and global missions. A portion of our har harvest offering this year will go to help host Night to Shine, which is a prom for people with special needs. And, and the rest of our harvest offering is going to go to meet needs in our community people who are struggling this Christmas season. We want to meet the needs that we see in our community, and that's what our harvest offering is going to go to this year. So I want to encourage you, you can give towards our harvest offering on the Church Center app, on our website. You can text to give. You, you can give at the giving boxes in the back of the worship center. All that information is available in your bulletin. Another incredible way to give is through sponsoring a child through Morning Glory. Uh, Rob shared a little bit ago a little bit about the heart behind Morning Glory and what it means to sponsor a child. And this is a great way for you to prepare your heart for what Christmas is all about. By worshiping, but by helping someone who, who is in need. So as you leave today, stop by the booth out in the lobby. Prayerfully consider sponsoring a child this Christmas. I also want to encourage you to invite at least three people to come worship with us for our candlelight Christmas services on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I want to remind you that a deeper understanding of Christmas leads to a fuller worship of the Savior. Psalm 71.25 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. And in just a moment, we're going to sing in response to what we've learned together this morning. But first, I simply want to ask, where do you stand today? This is not just a story or a fable or a tradition. Just as those Christmas characters worshipped when they witnessed the Word becoming flesh, 
so too we are invited into the story to worship fully with our lives. Don't let the cultural chaos cause you and your family to crash this Christmas. Let's worship fully. Would you pray with me? God, today we want to worship you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. God, against the consumerism that we see from every side, I pray, God, that we would push back against that, that we would slow down and we would worship you. God, as we look at the characters of Christmas and how they express their worship to you, God, I pray that we would look for ways that we can worship you this season. God, it's not going to happen by itself. I pray that we would intentionally make that decision to celebrate and approach Christmas differently this year. God, would you fill our hearts with your love so that we sing your praises. We look for ways that we can enter into this story, this story that radically changed the world 2,000 years ago and is still changing lives today. God, one of the ways, the very best way we can worship fully is by giving our life to Christ. And Lord, if there is anybody here today who has never called on the name that's above every name, I pray today they would realize that you sent your son from heaven to be born as a baby in a lowly manger and that this baby grew and that this baby would one day Give up his life so that we might have salvation, so that we might have our sins forgiven, so that our whole life would radically be changed, so that we would be invited into a kingdom that is without end. So God, if there's anybody here who's never accepted Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of their life, God, I pray that they would do that today. That Christmas would always be meaningful for them. And I pray that all of us would worship you fully this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.